Workforce development is a phrase that gets tossed around all the time in various contexts and in all sorts of places. Boardrooms, classrooms, union halls, city council chambers, and statehouse hearing rooms. But what does it really mean, especially now at the outset of Indiana's third century? Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll work hard to develop a better understanding of workforce development in all its manifestations and how it might shape our state for generations to come. Let's start with some background from Taylor Bennett of WFYI Public Media. Thanks, John. Well, lawmakers, business leaders, and educators are trying to figure out how to develop Indiana's workforce. For years, a focus has been on increasing the number of adults who hold some type of post-secondary degree and matching them with industries in need of qualified workers. But that hasn't been easy. Some have been critical of state government's role in coordinating higher education and technical education institutions with the current employers. With that in mind, Governor Eric Holcomb has made workforce development a major priority this year. Representative Todd Houston has authored House Bill 1008 to reconfigure and create workforce development programs and carve out funding. Now, the legislation calls for Holcomb's office to receive a quarter million dollars to develop a comprehensive workforce development plan. Indiana University Associate Professor Mark Folick says that Hoosier companies are facing a number of challenges as they try to grow. The annual Indiana Manufacturing Survey found regulatory compliance and health care costs as some of the roadblocks. Now, you can bet many of those issues will be dealt with this session at the State House. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Taylor Bennett. Thanks, Taylor. Back in a moment with a roundtable discussion featuring four people committed to ensuring that Hoosier workers are in the right place at the right time with just the right skills. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are at the top edge of computer technology, 3D design, using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Back in 1991, then-Governor Evan Bayh issued an executive order consolidating three state agencies, the Department of Employment and Training, the Office of Workforce Literacy, and the Commission on Vocational and Technical Education into a single Department of Workforce Development. The overhaul was intended to streamline operations and focus state resources on three priorities, the transition of Hoosiers from school to work, the creation of one-stop career centers, and the compilation of actionable labor market data. A quarter century later, some policymakers say it's time to reassess and maybe recalibrate the push for a highly trained, tech-savvy workforce. As Governor Eric Holcomb noted earlier this month in his first State of the State address, those who don't keep pace with an ever-changing world risk getting left behind. Joining me to discuss the issue are Steve Braun, Commissioner of the Indiana Department of Workforce Development, Republican Representative Holly Sullivan of Evansville, Dr. Chuck Johnson, President of Vincennes University, and Claudia Cummings, Vice President of Workforce and Education for Conexus, Indiana, a promoter of advanced manufacturing and logistics. And I thank you all for, for being here. You know, if there was one thing we can take away from the just-concluded election, it's that Americans were and are concerned about their employment, whether that's jobs they no longer have or jobs they have and they want to make sure that they stick around a while longer. Uh, let's stick, I want to, we'll focus on the state, of course, uh, sure. through most of this discussion, but a lot of things happening in Washington this week and that may have an impact on employment in, in some sense. And if you look at the campaign, uh, now President Donald Trump, uh, and certainly he hasn't done anything to draw back from this, it's all about we're going to bring back the jobs that we lost to, to China, to, to Mexico, the suggestion that 
maybe the old style manufacturing has a future. What does that do to this notion that we're trying to create a Hoosier workforce that is at the cutting edge of technology? You know, actually, I think it has some relevance, but quite frankly, not as much as we think it uh, needs to have because we really believe that uh, we need to understand the labor market uh, very well ourselves through our own data. Uh, and we've spent the last two years at workforce development really fulfilling that vision that you talked about earlier, which is bring better labor market information to the table. Uh, used to be that we would use national models. They'd be done every two years on two-year-old data. Uh, we knew that that wasn't adequate, so we now can run our forecast models for every occupation in the state every three months on six-month-old data. So that tells us what jobs are going to be out there. Uh, we're constantly updating that. We're also using labor market information to figure out what employers are saying that they need, need the skills and competencies actually to teach this, which is great as well. So. I think no matter what happens with jobs coming back from overseas or what's happening, happening organically here, we believe that we need to have a very responsive and accountable education system to employers' and needs. And not only do you look at, uh, rely on national numbers now or state numbers, you do it down to the county. Is and that we, that's the other improvement we've made is we used to be able to do it at regional and state levels. We now do it down to the county because my belief is that's where we actually should train for these skills and, quite frankly, get employers to the and table. And certainly Indiana counties, as we know, if you drive from one the state to the other are not uh, similar in terms of their, their manufacturing infrastructure, and some are very rural. And, and You'd be amazed at the differences as we've run the numbers. Well, about this notion of, of the administration, the Trump administration, yes. we're going to bring back these jobs. Do you worry that that sort of dulls the appetite that Hoosiers might have for this retraining or the sort of, because there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect sure. there. No, I understand, and I think when we we hear those things nationally. We need to be aware of where we rank nationally, honestly, in Indiana. We are 45th in labor supply um, and what is in demand in the state of Indiana. So when we, we hear all those things nationally, we need to, as um, legislators, focus on what our state ranking is nationally, but then to think more precisely how we can use the data that we started um, just last year in the legislative session gathering and um, ensuring that we use this next session to put together a system in which we can streamline the data. Um, we currently do have a workforce development strategy in the state of Indiana, but it's cumbersome. There are a lot of them, I think. If you yes, really, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> that's so, the issue. Um, speaking from an industrial engineer, streamlining and making sure that we're putting together a flexible, nimble system is the utmost importance um, this year in this session. So currently, we're spending a billion dollars on workforce development, and that's federal and state money together. But it is cumbersome. There's nine different agencies involved. There's 30 different work programs involved. And um, it's hard for the employers that are currently in our state to know exactly how to work along our state with that kind of cumbersome system. So it's an initiative of ours to make sure that we streamline that process and that we have a flexible, nimble system, and, which Steve just mentioned. It's funny what a quarter century can do to Absolutely. a formerly streamlined plan. That's right. But, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is these jobs may come back and they, they may be very valuable to Hoosiers and others, but the pace of change over time is still going to push technology as being the driver and employers' needs for that technology and those skills is going to be the driver. And the, the state of Indiana is well positioned, I think, for having many initiatives, many things that are, that are driving it. But I think we do need some more coordination, some better understanding of what the long-term needs are because we really can't develop tomorrow's workforce 
or today's workforce, we need to develop the future's workforce. And that's really the big key to put us in a, in a better spot. But for Vincennes, no deceleration in this notion of tech. That's, no, sir. No, no matter what happens in Washington, this is, this is what Indiana is. We've got to focus on those skills. The, the skills are going to be the long-term skills. Because we're, we're graduating people at 20 years old or 22 years old. They're going to have 40 years ahead of them in their careers. We've got to help them develop the skills they need for that future. Yeah, and John, I would say that any reshoring that might occur won't stem the tide of what's already happening. Connexus with IU, Kelly School of Business, and KSM have conducted an annual survey of manufacturers. And you know, just in 2016, we found that 70% of manufacturers today have a moderate to severe shortage of workforce. And in, over the next five years, that's going to continue to grow. And so um, the time is now, and I applaud the legislature for taking up this issue of continuing to improve the workforce system and as it is. And did I see 30,000? What would you call them? Middle, middle skill, tech, middle, middle tier, middle skill, middle skill mm-hmm. jobs available right now that yeah. simply yeah. can't yeah. be filled. And yeah. I, the other dawning statistic I saw, and you can certainly talk about the different goals and initiatives and statistics, you can get bogged down in those too. But yeah. is it two million Hoosiers right now who lack the kinds of credentials or the kinds of uh, post-secondary? certification or training that they need to perhaps be in that workforce. 700,000 who have no high school education. Uh, I do want to add to a point that you made about the national impact here. I do think the real national impact will be that as we look at federal monies that come into our system, they're way too prescriptive, they're way too specific. They don't allow innovation at the state. Uh, and we're pushing for more block grant opportunities. I was say, it sounds like a call for a block grant. I could almost hear you know, the echo. And it's right. needed because you know it causes us problems from the standpoint of how we allocate funds against very important programs like our JAG program that keeps uh, high school students in school, which is critical. But we don't have enough funds because they change the formulas around adult versus uh, youth. So, but block granting, I think, will allow a lot of innovation across the education spectrum, and I think you'll see those kinds of changes. And, and I, Claudia, I, I want to ask you one more follow-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what advanced manufacturing and logistics. Of course, we all do. You know, I could we could all write a dissertation on it. But for those few who don't know, explain <laughs> it uh, quickly too. What 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 separates advanced manufacturing and logistics from good old fashioned manufacturing? Yeah, well, logistics. we always say this isn't your father's manufacturing, yeah, okay. right? You're more likely. I didn't really know. That's why I'm asking you the question. So <laughs> you're more I'll likely admit. to work with a computer than on an assembly line. These are jobs that are high tech, high skill. They require um, a significant technical knowledge as well as process knowledge. Things like lean manufacturing make our companies more competitive. And so those who are going into the, to the factories and into the industry can't just sit and do a repetitive job. Subaru, I believe, requires that each employee be able to do at least five jobs in their facility. And these are jobs that, you know, take advantage of the latest in robotics uh, they take advantage of some you know, laser measurements that uh, determine tolerances to less than the size of a human hair. I mean, it's very precise work and requires um, additional schooling past high school, not necessarily a four-year degree. And I think that that's something else that we as a workforce community need to continue to help parents and students and career changers understand uh, that 50% of jobs today are what we call middle skill requiring more than a high school diploma, but less than a four-year degree. And just to add that real quickly, our data shows that we only teach to about 10,000 of those 
job opportunities a year or so. We have this big structural gap mm -hmm. where we really need to align around filling those types Which of jobs. Which comes back to accurate data that, right. that actually is a representative. Exactly. A reflection, an accurate reflection of what the workforce needs are. I but guess. We, we can identify the needs and I think we're, we're getting along the path of being able to do that. But the pipeline is the big challenge. Mm -hmm. getting, getting individuals who are ready to step into those roles, into the education and training that they need. We work with employers now to try to develop as, as many would call an ecosystem of we have a, a structure that helps pull people through the K-12 system into that post-secondary education with workforce opportunities that are ingrained in that experience. That work-based learning, internship, apprenticeship type model seems to be something that many, many employers and schools and, and we as a, as a university are latching on to. Yeah. I'm sorry, go that, ahead. That's exactly um, the importance of making sure that when we do streamline and put together this ecosystem that we're calling it as far as the system, that we ensure that the Commission of Higher Ed and K through 12 and workforce development are all at the table and working together instead of separate silos because we've heard that many that don't have the high school education or the jobs that are available entail us working together and putting together a bigger pot of money to grasp um, and make sure that we're communicating uh, in a streamlined effect from those that are in middle school and high school and what their job opportunities are in their communities. And that's what intrigues me. I mean, it's one thing to streamline workforce development, your, your agency. Right. But again, unless I'm wrong and there's some sweeping reform measure that's lurking out there that I don't know about, and Teresa Lubbers, the, the commissioner of her higher education, probably doesn't know about, and, and the uh, you know, superintendent of public instruction at K-12 doesn't know about, you're still going to have, to a certain extent, silos, will you not? Because, and, and Teresa Lubbers has sat in that chair or that chair, I can't remember, and talked about the goal. This was several years ago. The goals were going to do this by this point. How willing are the other branches of the tree going to be to, yeah. to bow in your direction? And, and again, the other branches being K through 12, uh, or now we might even say pre-K, yeah. if that happens, through 12, and then yeah. and, higher and Real quickly, you know, from the leadership from the governor and the agenda mm -hmm. that he's laid out to the leadership in the uh, legislature, I think everybody understands now that if we can figure out and understand exactly what jobs are out there right. and how we fill those, and it's these middle skill jobs, that there's three sources of talent that come into that. That's high school CTE, that's adult basic ed that we handle, of people that we bring back into the workforce, and then it's the community colleges and what they're teaching. And quite frankly, uh, employers are telling us what need to be taught there, so we should all be teaching the same things to those outcomes, and that's the data that we built and the perspectives we built. So there's a lot of collaboration that's happening now in discussions with higher ed, with discussions at K-12 levels as to how do we source talent pipelines from all those areas, because we have to if we're going to fill these big gaps, and then work together to make sure we have employers at the table and we're teaching what they tell us. And quite frankly, Vincennes has been a, you know, a doing that on their own for a long period of time, and that's why they've been it's so been successful. Been a focus, has it not been on, on we have. I wouldn't say vocational education, that's, that's an outdated term, but I mean the notion of being where the workforce needs are. Workforce needs, we work with great employers throughout the state of Indiana and a lot of initiatives, uh, both in manufacturing and other sectors. But the other thing that we're doing, really excited about is what we're calling Career and Tech Early College. And that's where we're reaching into these high school career centers. We're in 15 career centers in the state of Indiana, coordinating closely with the DWD on this. And what we're doing is we're, we're trying to open up uh, awareness, maybe at the middle school level, of what opportunities might be there, working with local employers to help recruit students into the pipeline, preparing them for world of work with skills, but also in 
engaging the, the local uh, employers to identify those needs, to take the data and then translate it to what is needed on a regional or local basis, and then find opportunities to get them to that post-secondary credential at a faster pace with maybe a cheaper route because they're paying less for those college credits they're earning in high school, but they're getting a college-level training and education while they're in high school, and that will get them maybe at 19 with that associate degree and then perhaps even move them on a path to get a baccalaureate degree uh, down the road. But the thing is, is it's, it's pulling through K-12, blurring the lines between K-12 and higher education, and blurring lines between higher education and the world of work, and that is what seems to be a winning formula and one that we think will, will have a, a great impact. Well, if I'm not mistaken, the legislation that contains a lot of these measures, uh, House Bill 1008, I believe, sets aside uh, $250,000 just for the sort of shakedown crews to figure out how everybody's going to get along and sing right. kumbaya. Is that enough, Claudia, to, uh, to get the job done? Is this a $250,000 uh, uh, meeting of the minds? Hey, you know, when you're talking about systems this complex, who knows how much is enough? But the act of really putting some, some money toward it helps focus the efforts, absolutely. And, and let me ask you, I may be off on this, but I sense that you know, economic, or I should say workforce development, uh, is not a new concept, as I mentioned in, in the open. And yet, I sense a shift. You know, the past decade or so, it's been about making an attractive business climate for employers who might be coming to the state or expanding. So, we, you know, elimination of the inventory tax and the scaling back of corporate income taxes, those types of things, uh, the enactment of um, right-to-work, so-called right-to-work legislation. Am I right that now the shift Maybe it's maybe it's a very modest shift is toward more. We, now that maybe we're attractive, we're actually going to focus on the the employees or the would be employees. Is that is yeah, that a fair yeah, assessment? It's part is of that? retaining, yeah, retaining those employers that have come to Indiana because of the policies and climate that they found attractive here. So I think it's not a, always considered a shift. Maybe a cause and effect of being an attractive um, state for employees to come and grow. Um, just the announcement this week, which was exciting for our region in southwest Indiana with Toyota expanding, that brought... A company you know a thing or two about. Yeah, just a couple of years there. there. Um, that's 400 more jobs, and probably something that they couldn't have um, made the announcement and looked forward in that pipeline of jobs without their partnership that Toyota had created in the past with VU and the K-12 through um, uh, community. So... Having all three of those, Commission to Higher Ed, K-12, through and workforce development working together, then Toyotas and other industry can make announcements and continue to grow in the state of Indiana. So it's cause and effect. It's a good problem to have, quite honestly, but it needs to be data-driven so that we can curtail uh, the problem and start working towards the future workforce. Well, it seems to be one of the obvious manifestations of this legislation, if enacted, that that focuses specifically on the worker, yes. uh, wherever he or she is in the in the, the career, beginning, middle, or end, is giving, I guess you'd say, grants or paying for uh, some retraining, whether that might be a GED or some sort of certification. Uh, $2 million would be set aside, if I'm not mistaken, True. for that. Does that make a real difference? I mean, I know there's caps on what every individual can get, but yeah. is that really going to have an impact? It, it, it can. Uh, I think as uh, we've worked on the data for the last two years, what it's showing again is a big structural need to fill these middle-skill jobs, so it's not going to fix it on its own. Uh, it's really going to require us to invest more resources into where these things get taught, and it is high school CTE, it is adult basic ed, and it's with the community colleges. Um, and we need to make sure that we're all 
collaborating, working together at higher ed levels, K-12, DWD, to pool those resources because, as Holly mentioned, there are a lot of programs out there. Uh, a lot of them are federal monies and pres prescriptive, but what we have with state monies, I think, is really adequate if we get rid of the silos and we really streamline around focusing on employers' needs and building out as quickly and innovatively but as possible. Even if these grants those. are capped, I think, at $2,500, I mean, it then sends what is, will that buy me what I need? Uh, it'll, it'll, get, it'll get you a good start, and it may, may get you a, an opportunity well, to, like to, a professor, to, 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 to combine with maybe other sources that may be available to individuals or through other, other uh, agencies. I think that the other thing we need to look at is, is that we're also going to have to adjust to changes in demand and changes in industrial uh, sectors. So, so, for example, in our, our part of the state, the coal mining industry has been through significant shifts, transitions, transformations. We have a lot of coal miners who have great work ethic, great uh, uh, great skills and ability, but maybe don't quite have the technical set that they, skill set they need to move to, say, an advanced manufacturing setting. But they have a lot on the table that is already very valuable. Employers tell us it's technical skills, but maybe 80% of it is showing up for work, having a good work ethic, being able to work well with others. And so if we can combine what maybe so folks who have soft it, skills, exactly, I guess it and, and it's so important. And they really, I don't think they should be called soft skills. I think they, those are harder skills to teach and learn. But I think that that's an important thing to look at as well. We have a lot of folks who may be transitioning from one type of a role or one type of industry. If we can capture what they've already brought to the table and then maybe finish it off with a, a new skill set, that might be a very viable way to do it. I know Quantia Connexus is doing all sorts of things with linkages between, you know, I guess sort of internships on steroids and and uh, linkages between employees and companies that might have their needs is that that dovetails, I presume, with everything that's been discussed here. Absolutely, the, the grants we work and closely with Vincennes, specifically on the AIM program up in uh, Lafayette, where uh, area manufacturers have come together to put um, offer to its workforce a training program where individuals go to Vincennes part time, they work part time, they earn enough money to pay for their schooling while they are there, and then at the completion, they're filling really high demand, high skilled jobs there in the Lafayette region. You mentioned. A, a moment ago about um, economic development and the impact of workforce on that as we have worked on some of our tax issues and other um, items. I will say I sit in on a number of site selection meetings uh, where the main topic of conversation is workforce and uh, Connexus is there to represent the fact that we have partnered with Vincennes, IB Tech, DWD, CHE on putting together a um, pipeline from high school directly into employment by way of kind of pushing down the middle school credentialing into the high schools. So kids can earn uh, industry credentials. They can earn a significant amount of a college degree, an associate's degree, while still in high school. And those kinds of efforts, like our higher tech program, um, really help to serve building this pipeline. Well, I came out of the humanities, of course, so I'm on dangerous ground by even asking this question as if I know what I'm talking about. But isn't everything going to be automated eventually? I mean, the, and where do you train people then? I mean, people are not, employers are not buying robotic equipment and machines just because they are shiny and new. It's to right. get rid of labor costs. So how, where does this go in five years, ten years? Do, I think that's a good, very good question. And it's, um, it's, been talked about in the next seven years we'll have a complete technology overhaul of what the jobs or opportunities are now and when we say things like jobs are coming back to our area what does that mean in the future with technology so I don't think it's our job as legislators to decide what jobs will be there it's our job to make sure that 
Hoosiers have opportunities with stackable credentials so that they are flexible with what they've invested in their education and what we've allowed as far as opportunities with things like the grant that we just talked about with workforce so that when those changes come in technology, they're nimble enough to move and to use the skills that they already have, maybe obtain some new skills with the new technology that are coming down the road. I think it's very exciting. Um, I think it'll be um, fun to watch, but not unless we have the structure around. We have to have the structure around those opportunities that we give Hoosiers. Unfortunately, we could talk about this a long time. Uh, Time is short. We're out of it. But the easiest question, of course, is could robotics ever replace the host of this show? I think we all know the (laughs) About five years. Thanks a lot. (laughs) My gray hair, that may be just about enough. So thank you all for being here for this discussion. I certainly appreciate it. It's an important topic for for all Hoosiers, certainly. Again, my guests have been Steve Braun, Commissioner of the Indiana Department of Workforce Development, Republican Representative Holly Sullivan of Evansville, Dr. Chuck Johnson, President of Vincennes University, and Claudia Cummings, Vice President of Workforce and Education for Conexus Indiana. Everyone agrees there's an opioid problem in Indiana, but who has the cure, your doctor or your legislator? On the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with the eminently employable Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, we've been around a long time. We talked about 1991 being a consolidation point. Aren't we hearing some of the same things that we heard back then? You're asking a liberal arts grad, too? Uh, we are in trouble, aren't we? Yeah, well, we, we heard Evan Bay talk about the importance of college and, and getting kids to college and getting that credential and creating the 21st Century Scholar Program. Then it was Frank O'Bannon you know, taking it to the next level and advancing the community college, the statewide community college concept with Ivy Tech and Vincennes and, and promoting the idea of, of getting people ready for the workforce. And then we, we saw uh, Governor Daniels come in, and he had the advantage of, of, of running the Hudson Institute, and they did that Workforce 2000 report, which talked about the changing workforce and, and the increase in, in uh, foreign-born workers that were going to be coming into the workforce and how we needed to adjust to that. And then Workforce 2020, which talked about the aging Workforce and how baby boomers were going to age out of the workforce, and we needed to do something about that. As as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're replacing with with automation and robots. They gave now. us five years at least, so yeah. that's a little and, breathing room. And now you, you've got Governor Pence, Governor Holcomb that that have come in and, and talked about you know aligning the curriculum with the workforce of the future, and, and this is advanced manufacturing, and it requires a different set of skills than just having an available workforce where anybody could do anything. They were basically fungible commodities. Well, I asked you the wrong question when I said this sounded familiar because, by definition, this is a, a perpetual incomplete mission. I mean, it always changes. Is that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You've got a moving target. You never know what the, the workforce of the future is going to be, what, what kind of companies are going to come in. We've, we've seen so much change just over the, the last generation. Um, we didn't know we were going to need engineers for, you know, the, the cloud, you know, 20 years ago. We didn't even have a cloud 20 years ago. The cloud on campus was a little but, something different back then, I the, think. It's, yeah. Universities are, are doing something about it. They're working together, you know, whether it's, it's Ivy Tech and, and uh, um, Vincennes University working with some of the other state-supported colleges and universities like Purdue and IU to get people to go straight through, or whether it's, it's USI and Ivy Tech working together on a reverse transfer deal, they are working on, on the workforce of the future. Well, as Holly Sullivan said, it'll be interesting to watch. Thank you, Ed, as always, for your insight. Appreciate it. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Taylor Bennett, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more Statehouse coverage. Until next week, take care. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.